Our first scripture reading today is from Isaiah chapter 42, verses 5 through 7. This is what God the Lord says, the creator of heavens who stretches them out, who spreads out the earth with all that springs from it, who gives breath to its people and life to those who walk on it. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and will make you be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles, to open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. Our second reading is from John chapter 13, verses 3 through 15. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, Not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, Those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? he asked them. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. We ask God to bless these words to our hearts and minds, for these are God's word for God's people. Thanks be to God. You know, I have a friend who no matter what you try to tell her, she insists on being on her cell phone while driving. If she gets a text message, she has to find her phone. She digs through her purse, pulls it out, reads the text message, texts back. And no matter what we did to try to tell her to stop it, she did it anyway. Of course, you know what happened. The time came when she drove off the road. I couldn't help myself, and I asked her, Now, do you believe? I don't know if she does or not. In the same way, when you have kids, you're often trying to give them your words of wisdom. My husband always told our son that he wasn't to have friends in his car after school. Well, we always told our son, his name is Mike, that we would know if he did. Of course, he didn't quite believe us until the day when he shot around a corner squealing his tires with four kids in the car and his dad was in the car behind him. <laughs> we knew. Oh, I guess we should have asked him at that point, now do you believe? We'll know. I was enjoying my morning meditation a couple of weeks ago when something kind of jumped out at me and, and hit me in the head, and it was John 
Jesus asked his disciples at this point, Now, do you now believe? Now, this question kind of takes place far down the road of Jesus' ministry. This isn't in the beginning. This isn't when he feeds 5,000 or walks on water or calms a storm. Although those were times that probably impacted his disciples. This question actually takes place the last evening that he spends before his his uh, trial. He is having Passover dinner with his disciples, and according to John 13, this appears to be a very intimate time for them. But he started the dinner by washing the disciples' feet. Now you understand, don't you, that this is not something that was done by the rabbi, teacher, or leader. This was done by the lowest servant in the house. Feet were dirty. The shoes were open and the roads were dirty. By the time you'd walked for a while, you you might be clean, but your feet were dirty. So it was customary for a servant to wash people's feet. There was some discussion about what he was doing and why. John thirteen twelve says, And when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes, returned to his place, and asked, Do you understand what I've done for you? Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash another's feet. Do you get it? He is setting down the dynamics for how we are to behave as servants. Through John, he relates a lot of the discussions that take place that night. Jesus tells them that he goes to prepare a place for them. He explains that if we've seen him, we've seen the Father. He tells them and us that he is the way, the truth, and the life. He promises not to leave us as orphans, but will send a comforter to them. He tells them to keep his commandments. It it kind of feels like he's telling this last time to get this message out to them. I can almost feel the intensity he must have had as he gives these last critical messages to them. I'd encourage you to read John 13 through 16. As you read, keep in mind what's about to happen. Feel the intensity that Jesus must have felt as he tried this one last time to prepare his friends for what was to come. And now, as the evening is drawing to a close, the disciples confidently say to him, Oh, now you're speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know, now we know you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe you came from God. I kind of look at that and I think, oh, really? After three years together, you're maybe accepting that Jesus came from God? I can just, can't you just see Jesus looking at them quietly? Maybe shaking his head and saying, do you now believe? The question came pretty late in his time with the disciples. Now, Jesus has been fairly busy. Before we get to the time when he asks his disciples this question, let's kind of go back and look at what he's been into and what they have personally witnessed. We're going to go into Matthew chapter 8. We find that he healed a leper. When Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. 
Jesus reached out his hand and said, I am willing. Be clean. Immediately the man was cleaned of his leprosy. Now we don't know much about leprosy in our lifetime, but it was a terrible disease then that destroyed the lives of those afflicted by it. They couldn't be with their families. They couldn't work. They could only rot away. But all it took was the statement, I'm willing, and Jesus cleansed him. Then there's the story of the centurion. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. Jesus said, come, I'll come and heal him. And the centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do it, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following him, Truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. Then Jesus said to the centurion, God, let it be done just as, as you believed it would. And the servant was healed at that moment. As work continued, when Jesus came to Peter's house, he found Peter's mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever. He touched her hand and the fever left her. And she got up and began to wait on him. When evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him, and he drove out the spirits with a word, and, and he healed all the sick. A little later he got into a boat, and the disciples followed him. Suddenly a furious storm came up on the lake, so that the waves were sweeping over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went to him and woke him, saying, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. He replied, O ye of little faith, why are you so afraid? Think of all they had already witnessed. Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was calm. The men were amazed at what they'd seen and asked, What kind of man is this? Even the wind and waves obey him. The Gospel of Matthew goes on to tell more about Jesus. While he was saying this, a synagogue leader came and knelt before him and said, My daughter has just died, but come and put your hand on her and she will live. Jesus got up and went with him, and so did the disciples. Just then a woman who had been bleeding for twelve years came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. You see, a woman bleeding was kind of like a leper. She couldn't have any kind of a normal life with her family or her friends. She was isolated, kept separate. She'd have been pretty pretty isolated by this condition. So she must have said to herself, if I can just touch his cloak, I'll be healed. Jesus turned and saw her. Take heart, daughter, he said. Your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed at that moment. When Jesus entered that synagogue leader's house and saw the noisy crowd and the people, he said, go away. This girl is not dead, but asleep. And they laughed at him. After the crowd had been put outside, he went in, he took the girl by the hand, and she got up. 
Needless to say, this spread throughout all the region. As Jesus went out from there, two blind men were following him, calling out to him, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he had gone indoors, the blind men came to him, and he asked them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? Yes, Lord, they replied. And he touched their eyes and said, According to your faith, let it be done to you. And their faith, their sight was restored. While they were going out, a man who was demon-possessed and could not talk was brought to Jesus. And when the demon was driven out, the man who had been mute spoke. The crowd was amazed and said, Nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. And yet those closest followers of his still had no real idea of what's going on. We hear about the brothers who want to sit on either side of Jesus when he becomes the king. We learn about Rash, Peter, and beloved John, and we hear about the disciple Thomas. You know, Thomas gets kind of a bad rap for his doubts. He even earns a nickname, Doubting Thomas. Yet Thomas was just as committed as the other disciples, perhaps even more so. Just days or weeks before that first Palm Sunday, Jesus told the disciples he had to go to Bethany because his friend Lazarus had died. Most of the disciples cautioned him away from going because of all the hatred that was brewing toward him in Jerusalem. Yet Thomas responded in John, Let us also go, that we may die with him. Okay, he's a little pessimistic, but you have to give him an A for bravery. He was willing to stick his neck out on the line. It was Thomas who responded a little later to Jesus' assurance of heaven. Jesus was telling his disciples in John 14 that he had to go away to prepare a place for them. Jesus told them they knew the way. But good old Thomas, he's brave enough to ask the question on everyone's mind as he said, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we... How can we know the way? I'm glad he asked this question because Jesus responded, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. How beautiful and clear that statement is. Yet Thomas had his gutsy moments, but by the time that Jesus went to the cross, Thomas, along with every other disciple except John, had scattered to the four winds. They were cowering in fear and self-preservation. They had been asked the question, Do you now believe? And they thought they did. But when the things got really tough, they couldn't truly understand or believe. On that first Easter morning, the two Marys encountered the risen Lord, as did Peter and John. Then on Sunday night, ten of the disciples met Jesus face to face. Christ spoke right to their doubts as he showed them his hands and his side, proving that it was really him. But where was Thomas? We don't really know for sure, but he's not in that first group. Can you imagine the shock he must have felt when the others told him, We saw him, he's alive. Well, Thomas might have been from Missouri, as he replied, Show me. And Jesus did. That's what did it for Thomas, who saw Jesus, then fell on the ground and proclaimed, My Lord and my God. 
Scripture tells us he didn't need to touch Jesus' scars. For him, seeing was believing, as it was for all the other eyewitnesses. I think one of the arguments for the certainty of the resurrection is that these people, these disciples, talked about it, wrote about it, and even died for their beliefs. This time in history was a dangerous time to express faith in Christ. It was hostile, distrusting Roman government who wanted to stay in charge. It was the Jewish religious elite who were trying to maintain their place. All but one of the disciples would end up a martyr, proclaiming the risen Christ with their very last breath. Can you see these followers who couldn't stay awake at the garden, who disappeared during the crucifixion? Can you see them going on to spread the good news if it weren't true? If they hadn't seen the risen Christ? I know I can't imagine it. Last week we talked a little about, about the author Lee Strobel. He was a lawyer and a journalist, which according to him are two of the most skeptical career fields around. As a devout atheist, he set out to disprove his wife's Christian faith. Actually, he was going to show the evidence that Christ rose from the dead was not true. In his research, he ended up becoming a devout believer, proclaiming, it would take more faith for me to remain an atheist than to believe. It's a pretty strong statement. He wrote a book called The Case for Christ, and then he talks about how people no doubt will lie, but people will not give their life for a lie. Yet each of these disciples went to their death, proclaiming that Jesus had risen. What about you and me? Jesus speaks directly to us in verse 29 when he tells his disciples, Because you have seen me, you've believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Isn't that the essence of our faith? To believe without seeing. That's us. If we study the scripture with an open heart and open mind, we can believe. Someday we won't need our faith anymore because we shall, as the song says, behold him face to face. But until then, we need to put our hope in the risen Lord, even when we don't have all the answers. As my husband was dying, the chaplain from the hospice had come and was talking to him, and he was asking Ray how he felt about dying. And Ray said, well, he wasn't happy about it, but he understood, and he was okay. He was prepared. But he said he sure had a list of questions for Jesus when he met him face to face. And we trust in the future that those answers were revealed to us, to my husband, and to us. Or it just doesn't matter anymore. Maybe the questions won't matter. Meanwhile, God gives us evidence of his existence every day. We hear him speak to our thoughts as we read the scripture. We see his beauty in the creation and his love through the kind hand of a friend or family. We see his redemptive work as somebody discovers hope or meaning or peace. We see his faithfulness day after day, and we know we don't walk alone. We are motivated by others following their faith. We think of the many great leaders of the past. I like to think of Mother Teresa, who persisted even the midst, in the midst of her doubts. 
I don't know if you know the backstory of, of Mother Teresa. You see, in her young years, she was so close to Jesus. She felt him. She felt she talked to him. He gave her the message of peace. He gave her the message of the ministry she was to have in India. She knew what he wanted, and he walked with her. But for some reason, after she started that ministry, she lost that close feeling, and she grieved over that. But she never doubted her path or her faith or that Jesus was real. And consider Thomas himself. Tradition tells us he later spread the gospel to India, where he would eventually give his life for God. And so we resonate with the words of the Apostle Peter, no doubt recalling this particular event when Thomas got to see his risen Lord. Many years later, Peter would write to the young believers in 1 Peter, Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So where do you stand on this issue? You've heard and read about the miracles Jesus performed. You've heard and read about the early church and the acts of those early brave Christians. Maybe you've had your own miracles in your life. I know I have. Miracles because things have happened that cannot be explained in human terms. You've seen in person how Jesus can change lives. So I can ask you this question. Do you now believe? Look deep inside yourself. Do you feel the reassurance that Christ and Christ alone can give? Do you feel the confidence that Christ gives? Do you feel that little nod inside that, yes, I believe? If you don't have that confidence in Christ, well, we can help you. We can find it. So I believe this is the most important question anyone can ever ask you, and even more important is your answer. So do you now believe? How would you answer that question? Would you pray with me? Lord, we wish to believe in you. Let our, let our faith be full and unreserved, and let it penetrate our thought, our way of judging divine things and human things. Lord, let our faith be joyful and give peace and gladness to our spirit, and position our faith for our prayer with God and conversation with men, so that the inner joy of our faith may shine forth in both sacred and secular conversation. Lord, let our faith be humble and not presume to be based on the experience of our thoughts and of our feelings. But let us surrender to the testimony and guidance of the Holy Spirit in the name of your blessed Son. And let us believe. Amen.